and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're using the Pew Bible, you will find that on page 1,245. 1,245. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. We'll be spending two weeks in this passage. I'll preach this week uh, on husbands, the call to love their wives. And um, it is a blessing to have an assistant pastor. Because he gets to preach on uh, wives submitting to your husbands. <laughs> so so that'll, be, uh, that'll be next week. Pray for, uh, pray for my brother. Um, we are looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Hear now the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies." He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. O Father, we are weak. In our minds they wander and we are frail. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word this morning that you would give great unction and anointing to the hearer and preacher alike. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. In six 24-hour days, God created the heavens and the earth and all that is within them. He created all things out of nothing. By the word of His power, He spoke and it came to be. He made everything from the 300 sextillion stars that are in the universe that we last count think there are. That's that's, uh, 300 with 21 zeros behind it. To every grain of sand, to each and every animal, to the still undiscovered creatures of the depths, the bottom of the ocean. He made all those things. But the crowning jewel of his creation was mankind. Mankind is different than the rest of creation, for we alone are made in the image of God. This doesn't mean that we look like God, because God is a spirit and without body. It means rather... That we have been given a soul, and we are accountable for our actions, and we were made for a relationship with each other, but especially relationship to God. God created us in His image capable and for relationships, first with Himself, but also with each other. And when He created man, He said it was not good for the man to be alone. So He created him a helpmate. In the first and last use of anesthesia for thousands of years, God took a rib 
from Adam's side and crafted Eve out of it. And Adam was thrilled. He was thrilled. Genesis 2.23, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The relationship between man and woman would be different than man's relationship with anything else in creation. There was a union, a deep bond. They became one flesh. There was a marriage. And so God is the creator and the author of marriage. It's not something that we created for expediency's sake. He is the author of it. It is not just convenient. And he gives us the instructions before the fall how this is meant to work. In Genesis 2, 24, quoted in our text today in Ephesians 5, we read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so God created two human beings, one biologically male and one biologically female. There are two genders, and they were both equal before God. That's important. They were and are equal before God. But though man and woman are equal before God, they have been called to fulfill different roles. Husbands have been called by God to be the head of his wife and his family. And God has called wives to serve as helpmates to their husbands as they submit to his authority and the relationship and the home as he follows Christ. But you know, Paul says something rather startling in our passage this morning. Because he, he starts talking about marriage and, and coming together as man and wife and becoming one flesh. And th- then he says the strangest thing. He says, but, but you know, this is actually talking about the relationship between the church and Christ. The marriage relationship and the intimacy enjoyed therein, they point us to a greater reality, a deeper reality, that a relationship between God and His people. And in fact, it might be said that, that God created marriage to help us understand our relationship with our Savior. So today we explore two marriages. That of Christ to His bride, the church, and that of godly men and women. Next week, uh, and we'll be focusing on the role of the husband this week, and next week, Lord willing, Mark will be talking about the role of wives in a marriage. Well, as you remember, we're in the second half of Ephesus, and Paul has shifted from a theological to practical focus. We've been talking over the last several weeks, especially how we are to relate one to the other within the context of the church body. But now Paul is going to make a shift that was very common in writings of his day. And he's going to talk about what was called then the household codes, or the most fundamental relationships that define our society. This week we will look, next week we'll look at marriage, husband and wives. Then we'll look at parents and children. And then he'll talk about masters and slaves in our context, bosses and employees. He begins with marriage, though, right? Because it is the most fundamental relationship and building block of society. Apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the most important relationship here on earth. And it should be in our families. 
and, and so it's no surprise that the evil one has attacked marriage in such a way that he has, right? If he can tear down marriage, then he can tear down our society. It is the fundamental building block. But here's the thing. These Gentile believers, remember they had come from a background that was not exposed to the Old Testament, the scriptures of the Old Testament, God's word of the Old Testament. And so they had different ideas of what marriage was to look like. And they had been converted. Many of them were married. And then had come believers together. And the question is, how was their marriage now meant to be different from the way it was before? How was their marriage, how was our marriage, meant to be different than what the world says marriage is supposed to be? Paul helps us by telling us we really only have to look at the greater mystery that is behind this in order to understand how we are to relate one to each other as husbands and wives. Throughout the Old and New Testament, we see God calling His relationship with His people that one of marriage. Don't you remember the the book of Hosea? That's a tough one, right? God tells the prophet Hosea to go and seek after his prostituting wife, to call her back into a relationship, showing God's love for His people, that even though she would stray, even though we would stray as God's people, He is committed to us and He loves us. And he is a jealous husband. We sang of this relationship in our opening song, the church's one foundation. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his blood he bought her, and for her life he died. So how are we to understand men, speaking to the men especially here today, how are we to understand as godly husbands, how are we supposed to understand what God says about how we are to act and lead and love and serve Our brides. First, we have to look at how Christ has cared for his bride, the church. We see this in verse 23 um, that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Paul is going to mix metaphors here. He is going to speak of Christ as the head of the church and also the groom, the bridegroom. Of the church. He's the head as the one who is in authority over the church. But head can also be used to speak of a head on top of a body, which is another metaphor for the church. We are the body of Christ, and He is our head. We are the body of Christ, and Christ is the head and the husband, and we are the bride and the body. In each one of these relationships, there is one who is an authority over the other. The parts of the body, my my hands and my feet, they have no authority over my head. They are subject to, they submit to the will of the little gray cells in my brain. Just like in marriage, God calls the husband to be the one who has final authority for the decisions, actions, and lives, both of himself and his wife. But this is not arbitrary, for it is based upon the deeper reality of the church's submission to Christ as her Lord and Savior. It is Christ who has authority over His body, over His bride, over the church. For the church is His creation. He has made us. He has called us. He has redeemed us. And we have been bought with a price that is not our own. This is summed up nicely when we talk about Christ as our Lord A Lord is a master, 
And we submit to Christ as our Lord. Through His Word and through the Spirit, He rules and reigns over His creation, but especially His people, you and me, the church, the true spiritual Israel. So how do we as as believers in Christ submit to the Lord? Well, first we submit to the Lord in salvation. That we recognize that apart from the saving work of Christ that we are damned forever in hell, justly so. And so we submit to Him by receiving that gift, that free gift of salvation that He has purchased for us at the cross of Calvary. But as those who have been saved, if we are believers here, then we recognize that He is the one who sets the agenda for the church. It is His agenda and His purpose that we promote and pursue, not ourselves. But His rule and authority are not arbitrary, are they? How does He lead us? How did He purchase us? In the words of marriage, how did He pay the dowry? We don't have dowries anymore, right? But they did in these days. And so when we talk about Christ purchasing His bride, that's a lot of what's going on there. How did did He pay the dowry? Well, ultimately, according to verse 25, we read that Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. What was the dowry price? What was the bride price? The price was the blood of our Savior. That He would love His bride so much that He would give up His own life for her and cleanse her, make her new, make her His. But Christ's love for His bride, the church, the body of Christ extends far beyond Calvary, doesn't it? He has an ongoing love for us. Providing for our every need. We see this in verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Don't you love these words, nourish and cherish? Christ cherishes you. He doesn't tolerate you. He doesn't put up with you. He cherishes you. Even when we are sinful, and even when we run, and even when we're messy, and even when we've messed up, He he cherishes us. Not only does He cherish us, He nourishes us. He gives us what we need. He nourishes that relationship. And how does He do that? Primarily through the word, the sacraments, and the prayer. We will come to the table soon. And just as we are nourished by the word of God as the Spirit works it into our hearts, so the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit feeds us spiritually and nourishes us as we come to the Lord's table. Isn't it great news that Christ doesn't just let us go? But is there with us, cherishing us and nourishing us and focusing us on us and valuing us? But there's a purpose for this. Verse 26 and 27 tell us that it is so that He might sanctify us. That He might present us without spot or blemish. He washes us in salvation as we hear the Word of God, especially the Gospel. This cleansing is pointed to by the water of baptism. But He is getting us ready for that day when Christ comes back. And it's the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
In the context of marriage in Paul's day, there was a betrothal period. Remember, uh, Mary and Joseph were betrothed before they were actually married. But that betrothal is, is far more binding than engagement. You'd have to have a divorce to break that betrothal. He is our groom, and we are betrothed to him. And one day when he comes back, we will be presented to him, the church, spotless and without blemish. And we will enjoy the wedding feast of the Lamb. Until then, He is preparing us for that day. He is working in our midst. He works in our hearts, causing us to see our sin that we might repent of it. I remember um, July 26, 2008. It was a day that I decided to take a shower and to shave. I even ironed my shirt, right? Why? Because I knew my bride would be a knockout in her wedding dress. It was the day of my wedding. And I was presentable that day, if none other. And so the Lord is getting us ready to be presentable at the day of His return. So how does this help us to understand as godly men, as we seek to lead, love, and serve our wives? How does, how does Christ's example help us? Well, just as we see as Christ is the head of the church, so God has created order within marriage. In verses 22 to 24, we see that the husband is the head of the wife. What, what does that mean to be the head of the wife? It means that final responsibility and authority. Responsibility is a tough one, right? For what happens in the marriage is ultimately the husband's. Mark will unpack what it looks like for wives to submit to their husbands. But I'd like to make some application for what it means for us men as we seek to be godly husbands and leaders in our homes. The first is that this authority that God has called us to, this leading, is not a controlling authority. Let's be really clear on that. So much of society's reaction against what is called a complementarian view of marriage, that is the biblical view of marriage, uh, is because of a misconception. It is not a controlling authority. Leadership and being controlling are not the same thing, period. This does not mean that the husband has to make every decision that is made in the household, from the color of the new hand towels in the bathroom to the brand of cereal that is purchased. That's not leadership. That's called abuse. Okay? That's not leadership. I once knew a man that thought for him to lead his wife, he had to basically keep her afraid of him. That's not a godly way to lead your wife, right? He had a domineering, perfectionistic, and controlling personality, and so he put a Christian veneer on it with godly words, but it wasn't godly leadership. You know, there will be, just, there will be times, men, as we deliberate as a family to make decisions together, that husbands may have to say, okay, I hear that, but here's, I think this is what we're going to do. But I remember asking um, my pastor when we were going through premarital counseling, I said, so what does it look like for a man to be the head of his house? And he said, well, Parker, in the 40-some-odd years he'd been married, I can remember about five times when I've had to put my foot down and say, you know, this is what we're going to do. In 40-some-odd years. Being a leader means taking people with you. If you, if you turn around, there's nobody behind you. And you're, you're not leading because there are no followers, right? You're just taking a walk. 
And so, men, as we lead our wives, it's not, here's what we're going to do. It's, let's make this decision together. And there may be times where the man has to say, this is, this is the course we're going to take. But the leadership is for the benefit of the family. It's like a coach, right? The coach is working for the benefit of the team. I'm uh, coaching. Uh, I was talking to Drew Luker this morning, and I said, as one coach to, the, to another, uh, <laughs> Because I'm coaching uh, 8U soccer at the YMC of A. Uh, You know, a coach works for the good of the team. If he works against the good of the team, then he's a really bad coach. right? But a coach also needs to know what he's doing. So leadership is for the benefit of the family. It's for the benefit of the relationship. But healthy leadership doesn't just happen, does it? It's something that is hard and must be worked at. The fact is that the husband is the leader of the home. The question is, men, are we doing a good job or not? God said, we are the head of the home. Are we doing a good job or not? You know, the only way that we can be good leaders of our wives is if we prioritize our marriages. And that may mean something, and it may cost us something. It may mean that we may not be able to take certain jobs. We might need to trim down some of our hobbies. One of the most uh, effective managerial strategies, I was a business minor, which is funny. Uh, One of the most effective managerial strategies is what's called management by wandering around. Um, And it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, Leaders walk around and talk to the folks they're leading. Uh, It means being present and getting to know people. There's a rather large element of leading your family in the sense of management by wandering around, by walking around and being with your family. It means being present. We need men to spend quality and quantity time with our brides and with our children. It is a lie to say that I can just have small snippets of quality time and I don't need to worry about having much of it. It doesn't work like that. The story is told of a godly old man who got to the end of his life. Someone asked him if he had any regrets. And the man with his last dying breath looked up and said, I only wish I'd spent more time at the office. No, wait, that's not how that goes, is it? It's the exact opposite. No one gets to the end of their lives and say, man, I just wish I'd worked more. As always, I wish I'd spent more time with my wife and my kids. In the words of uh, one of my mentors, Claude McRoberts, your wife is more important than your career. My wife is more important than my career. And so this means, men, that we've got to step up. Straight up. I've got to step up. It's time to step up, especially spiritually. We're called to lead our wives and our children spiritually in the things of the Lord. That means we have to walk deeply in those things if we're going to lead them. It doesn't mean that you have to have a seminary degree. It doesn't mean that you have to know everything. All it means is that we must, as men, prioritize our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is never too soon to start this with your wife. It is never too soon for your children, 
for them to see you sitting in your chair reading your Bible. What a great testimony. It's never too soon to have times of prayer at the dinner table. It's never too soon to read through a devotional book with your wife at night. Now, you're going to miss a lot of nights, and that's okay. But just get started. But next, we need to consider the example of how our groom, our bridegroom, our, our Savior, loves his bride, the church. Men, we are called to love our wives well. We see this in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The word love here means is, a, is agape love. It means a sacrificial and unconditional love. What does it look like to love our wives, men? It means much more than just an emotional feeling. Much more. It means a commitment to her, forsaking all others, allowing no other relationship be more important than your relationship with her, including your children and your parents. The most important relationship in the home is that of with you and God. And the one that is close on the heels is between man and woman. Children are not the most important thing in a family, period. The primary relationship men must be our wives. And our children need to see that if they are going to have healthy marriages later in life. Husbands, wives crave commitment. And they need to feel that they are safe and that you aren't going anywhere. You know, men, we have a desire, a need to be respected. But God has created women with a deep need to feel loved. Ultimately, that must come from Christ. We can't fulfill that. That's too high of a bar. But it is how God made relationships to work. This means we must be patient with our wives, gentle with our wives, kind to our wives, sensitive to our wives. Men, it means we must listen to our wives. And that we must be willing to sacrifice some things for the good of our relationship with our wife. Christ laid down his life. He gave up his life. Therefore, we are to give up our lives as well for the sake of our marriages. But just as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church through the word, sacraments, and prayer within the context of God's people, we too are called to nourish and cherish our wives. Uh, I have a lemon tree in our backyard. I have neither cherished it nor have I nourished it. In fact, it's growing from underneath the graph now, and there's only one lemon on it. It's alive, but barely. If I had nourished it and cherished it, it would be thriving. Is your marriage barely alive or is it thriving? Men, we must cherish our wives and then nourish that relationship. Have you had time with your wife alone without the kids? That might mean that you take a peanut butter and jelly sandwich somewhere so you can pay the babysitter. That's a great date. And it communicates to your children that they're not the most important thing in this world. They're lovely, they're great, but there's something more important here. Finally, men, we are called to seek the spiritual welfare of our, of our wives. Just like Christ is getting us ready for that great day when he comes again, so too are we to pray for our wives and help them grow in their godliness. Like a coach working towards victory. This is one of the goals of our marriage. There's a great book I'd like to recommend. I meant to put it in the notes and I forgot. It's a, a book called The Shepherd Leader at Home. I've walked with it through several of the men in our, in our church. And it just talks about what it means to be a godly man in the home. 
What does it mean to shepherd your wife, to love and care for? What does it mean to be a godly husband and father? It's about 10 bucks, I think, online. If you'd like me to order you a copy, just let me know, and, and I'll be glad to, to do that for you. Well, how do we conclude? Well, we conclude with the conclusion. When Christ comes back and collects his bride. For it will finally be time for the revealing of the bride of Christ, the church. And those who have been saved, who have believed in Christ for salvation, will sit around the table in what Revelation 19 calls the great wedding feast of the Lamb. We have a picture of it back in Isaiah where we find a a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. My friends, will you be part of that feast? Are you part of the bride of Christ? Let me ask it straight up. Are you a Christian? Is Christ your Savior? He gave himself up for you because he loves you. And he offers you salvation today, even as we yearn for his return. So we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. So Father, we thank you for your love and for your grace that you have given to us. We thank you for our marriage to our Savior, our Bridegroom. Lord, we pray that you would help us, the men in this room, that you would help us be godly men. Father, for those who are not married yet, or children, that you would raise them up to be godly husbands. Um, We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.